All right, everyone. Welcome back. We are on episode three. three? Actually, it's technically episode four because we had an intro episode. Oh, yeah. But this is hot topic number three, and you better believe it's going to be hot and spicy. <laughs> uh, so stick around. We have an awesome guest, of course, um, and we are glad that you could join us for Sundays at 7. we promised a wonderful guest per always we're really good at picking guests i mean let's we do have good community around here so that's true this is actually this is his um this is his hat trick on our podcast hat trick <clears throat> if you're not a soccer person is three goals in one game i definitely had no idea i was thinking magician in my head so. <laughs> this is his third time on our podcast everyone let's welcome james bush, bush. That's nice. Thank you. <laughs> Did you like how I made yes. a hat trick? Right yes, yeah, my first hat trick <laughs> of podcasts. Anyway, so we're glad to have you on the podcast this week. We were talking about yet another spicy topic, mm. and we definitely wanted to get you on because you have a very interesting perspective, and um, we are excited that you could share that with us. But really quick before we get started, we think it would be important for you to maybe catch us up to date on any new situations going on in your life. Well, I am working on my doctorate of ministry and just finished Ooh. my last course. We were supposed to be in South Korea with uh, people from all around mm. the world and who are my cohort. Because of COVID, we got to do 15 hours of Zoom instead. So, I mean, and, and you know, it's crazy because these are some of the most interesting people. Some of the most, some of these brothers and sisters are just, they live in persecuted areas of the world mm. and they are persecuted as part of the being a mm. a a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And um, so, you know, these are just wonderful people, and it, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like going on a really long youth trip, and you come back, and it's sort of like the air comes out of it. If you've ever been on a, a youth trip in a youth group, and if you haven't, uh, it's like going on a good vacation and coming back and sort of being like, oh, it's over, you know, and and knowing that I will never be with all of those people this side of heaven in a, in a single place again. It was a, it was a big you know, big thoughts. So, so I have another year now of dissertation work, and then hopefully I'll graduate in May of 2022. Then you'll be Dr. James Bush. Yeah. Um, my kids are growing up. They're fun. I have a really good Riley story. My daughter's five. Is it okay if I tell it? Sure. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course. We love stories about Riley. Riley, she's going to marry this little boy. She's, she told me for a long time now she's going to marry this little boy. Evan? Yeah, Evan. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be firefighters. And uh, so my daughter's five. So the other day I'm saying, Riley, uh, you know, you got to let God be part of that decision. You know, you, you got to let God tell you, you know, you, you don't have to make this decision when you were five, when you're five. And she goes, Dad, I didn't make that decision when I was five. I made it when I was four. <laughs> Smart cookie. I was like, Riley. Oh, my goodness. If you've never met Riley before, you have to. She, you she will not meet her. She will meet you. That is actually yeah. very. That's charming. a very good way to put it. Yeah. That is very just, true. She does not know a stranger. That's right. Yeah, she's man. She's awesome though. So, um, just you know, doing family, uh, doing church, student ministry. Um, so we're trying to figure out ways to you know ways to gather safely and ways to um, do event do events with our students that we can do in a safe a safe way right now and. You know, it creates all kind of hurdles, but that's the way we're kind of spending our energy. So uh, last week was a hot topic. This week, hotter. 
You guys want to know what it is? I want to know. <laughs> All right, here's our topic this week. Hot topic number three. God is good, yet we suffer. Dot, dot, dot. Why? Why? So, I've been reading Job um, in my personal quiet time. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't realize Job was so long, so it's actually taken me a while to get 42 chapters. It. Very long. Yeah, I thought it was not as long. I can't remember it being so long. But... Um, so we kind of talked about Job previously. We were going to bring it up as a hot topic just because that story in general is, if you've read Job before, is definitely interesting. And, um, if you haven't read it, you should because... And unique. Yeah. It isn't... Didn't you say earlier that there's not an author to Job? Is that, is that right. true? Well, I mean, yeah, somebody wrote it. We just don't know who... It's anonymous. Who don't, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so really quick for those of you who haven't read it. Um, James is going to give us a very short rundown. A little... Of a long book. Yeah. What's it called when you... Spark Notes. Mm-hmm. He's going to give us a spark, spark Notes of it. So Job is a 42-chapter uh, book in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament. It starts with a conflict in heaven. And it's between Satan or the Satan. And uh, it means accuser, the accuser. And he stands before God. And God says, if you consider my servant Job. Job is a very wealthy person. should be mentioned that all these characters, this is set in the land of Uz, which is not in Israel. It's unlikely these people were Israelites um, for, that, for that reason. There's no, there's no textual reason to believe they were. Um, that's neither really here nor there other than that. God says, if you consider my servant Job. And Satan says, if you would allow me to test him. So God allows him to do pretty some pretty catastrophic things uh, to Job, but not touch Job. And eventually it gets to Job. Job uh, is finally on an ash heap with sores. You know, it's a pretty pretty abysmal scene. Mm-hmm. He's oozing and scratching his sores with pottery, and it's, it's just not good. And uh, so, the, so you really from chapter one through chapter two, you have uh, the dilemma, the controversy, the courtroom scene in heaven. Then from chapter 3 through chapter 37, you have a debate. And it's a debate between really uh, mostly Job and three friends, although a fourth one comes in at the end. And they're all attacking the same question of why. Why is Job suffering? And so this gets on to a sovereign level or a cosmic level. And uh, Job is saying, look, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Is God just? And Job is really wrestling with this. He'll even kind of turn to God and, and sort of complain to God and, and blame God and say, this doesn't seem consistent uh, with, with really kind of the way you are. And the friends are saying, no, God is consistent. Um, you must have done something wrong. And so for a very large chunk of Job, that is a debate cycle that just keeps going on and on and on. And it's very important. And there's a lot of important things that are said in there, but it, but it ends up with Job really is asking, they're all asking the question, but Job especially, why? Why has this happened? And um, Job wants to know, what have I done? And so God finally shows up, and he shows up in a whirlwind, and his answer is, and he says, brace yourself like a man. <laughs> um, he says, what have you done? And God basically takes him on a tour, and he uses a lot of nature imagery that comes through in the book of Job. God also uses a lot of nature imagery, but he's basically saying, did you create creation? Oh, no, wait, you didn't. Could you actually handle judging the world? No, you couldn't. These are all rhetorical questions, meaning these questions are already answered as God asks them. Um, and to Job's credit, as Job uh, basically gets the full, full face of this, Job um, humbly says at the end of the book, you're right. And he stops asking the why question. 
And that's really important. I don't want to give away the, I don't know how you guys want to do this. I don't want to give away the sort of the whole thing right now unless you want me to. Yeah, okay. go for it. So the question is, we often come to the table asking why, when bad things happen. Why, why me? Why did this happen? Why, mm-hmm. why am I going through this? Why is, is it my parent who died or my parents who got divorced or my whatever? Why is it that my job got, you know, why, or why is it this promotion? Was, we we sort of look at suffering and we ask the why question. And what Job tells us is that's not not the best question because what God is actually doing is saying, Job, you think you have a perspective on my character, but your perspective is so little. You're just a man. Your perspective isn't big enough. And he, and he comes in cosmologically here and says, look, I've created all of this stuff. All of it, Job, I've made. And Job, to his credit, goes, that's right. Wait, you have a much bigger perspective. I can't be you. Mm-hmm. You are you. And I think that is, uh, that's the, the significance of it. We always want to ask why in the suffering. And the more important question is where? Where are you, God? So if suffering is inevitable and our problems are unavoidable, do we pose the question, what is the purpose of suffering? So I think, I think it's a great question. And I think that's the heart of every human being. And it's the heart of every religion. There's, there's a, somehow it deals with this question. It's the heart of secularism and the heart of atheism. In fact, I think so much of what fuels atheism is the idea of a loving God being incompatible with the kind of depraved suffering in our world, right? So I think suffering um, is, the, it's an important question, you know, the purpose of suffering. The Bible does answer that question. Um, the thing about Job is, Job is a great contained story on the idea of suffering, that we actually have an incomplete perspective on God's plan, and we're not big enough to envision it or to hold it. Um, Job wasn't big enough, we aren't big enough. But the Bible doesn't stop at Job. And the beautiful part about the Bible is it is canonically, meaning the whole 66 books are linked together by, I think, a meta theme. And my professor, Dr. Donjel, he said the ethos or the purpose of God in the Bible is love. God's always driving. The character of God is love. You look in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Well, that presupposes that they were ranking the 613 commandments. Right? So, the, so there has to be, in those 613 commandments we find in the Old Testament, there has to be, the question is, what's the, what's the highest one? And Jesus could have said, they're all important. Don't ask me a question like that. Mm-hmm. But Jesus takes the bait and says, actually, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's Deuteronomy, right? This is Shema, hero Israel. Then he says, love your neighbor like yourself. So love drives all of, that's the purpose of God. It's always driving toward the telos or the completion. The, the end goal is life. So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So the Bible is links us. So we can't stop at Job with the question of suffering. We have to move to the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus gives us a very clear answer on um, suffering. And that is found in Matthew chapter 1. You're going to name him. You shall, he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hmm. So what I think about suffering, I think the, the fact that um, we, we are we c- 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 consumed with why, but what's really happening is um, we need to understand uh, where. Where is God for a believer in his or her suffering? And the answer is in Jesus. Right? It's Emmanuel. By his wounds we're healed. So would you say... Jesus gives us purpose to our suffering. He yes. gives us, he is the why yes. behind the suffering. Yeah, and I think that's what enables, absolutely. And I think that's what enables James to write in his letter 
Um, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's barely gotten in the letter when he writes this. It's like the third verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must be part of your makeup as a Christian so that you are mature, not lacking anything. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, I think it's, it's yes. Um, we read a book a while ago, Letters to the Church, we reference it a lot here. I, I want to read an excerpt from it. There's a whole chapter about suffering, basically, and um, Francis Chan is talking about, um, he's talking with a guy from a different country, and it, he basically says, there are millions of people in our country who call themselves Christians because they believe the Christian life is about admiring Christ's example, not realizing it's a call to follow it. And then he talks about the call to follow Jesus is a call to die, and the call to follow Jesus is the call to joyfully endure suffering in this life for promise of eternal blessing in the next. Which mm -hmm. basically is like that Romans verse that says, consider the sufferings of this present time that are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. So if you're not suffering, are you truly walking in the will of Christ? Like, should we all be suffering in some form? I don't mean like... Our kids die like Job and, right, right. Yeah. and all of our... No, I mean, I think, I think yeah. there is a season for everything. And I think there are seasons where you will suffer and there are seasons where you are going to sort of have more mountaintop experiences. But, you know, there's the tree line principle. On a mountaintop, there's not much growth, right? You don't grow at the top of the mountain. That's where you celebrate and you, you rest, you restore. But as you go back down into the valleys... Um, even as you walk in the valleys of the shadow of death, right? Because God is with us, because the Lord is our shepherd, um, that is actually where the growth takes place. And I think that what we are, we are a suffering adverse people, meaning we don't want to suffer. And I mean, m m most people don't want to suffer. Some people, groups in the world, don't have a choice on that. They are, they suffer just because of poverty, because of lack of food, um, because of government, because of whatever. They don't have the, the, uh, ability to, to, to get away from some of the most basic forms of suffering. Uh, I think in our country, we're very adverse to any kind of suffering. We, we don't want pain. We want to numb up to pain. Um, and what, what actually is interesting is we're finding more and more is that pain is, is the best alert system for our bodies. Even physical pain is telling us, hey, something's wrong with you. Don't just numb it up with medicine. You need to probably figure out why you're, you're having this pain, right? So so you could extrapolate that out and say this is true socially and emotionally and spiritually as well. Don't numb up to the pain, but begin to explore through prayer and study the word through accountability, through not neglecting the assembly of believers, uh, through your relationship with God. Begin to explore, what well, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? And I think that, like I just, I think about Paul in philippians and we talk about we have this such a negative connotation on suffering if you're suffering then like like you said like you don't want to feel suffering you'll try to numb it whatever way you can hmm. and i think that like in, in philippians he talks about i i'm in chains for christ and because of these chains um my brothers and sisters have become more confident in the lord and dare all the more to proclaim right. the gospel without fear and i think that is such a testimony to like i, I feel like in my own life recently um I have wondered what is an effective way for me to lead the gospel wherever I am. Like, is it by mouth? Should I walk in and say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Hey, do you go to church? Like, hey, this, or, or is it more effective that I, you know, just by my actions and what I'm doing? And I've really struggled with, um, like, am I leading the gospel the way that the God, that God wants me to lead it? Yeah. And um, 
I feel like these, like, like Paul being in chains, like it's these points of suffering that usher us into a new way to see Christ, which gives us the opportunity to tell the story to people who might not be believers. But I think the best testimony to your, or to your witness is how you walk through suffering. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's the case is because the world can, it, it, you can look in and say, well, yeah, okay, you can say, okay, God is all these things. All right, fine. That sounds good. But then when, when the rubber meets the road, when the bad thing happens, when the crisis comes, are you still walking? Are you walking more fervently? Are you walking with your head even closer to, to the feet of Jesus as you're trying to walk behind him? Are you, are you showing the world a different new creation Someone who's made in the image of Christ, the Imago Dei. Are you are you walking into that, or are you saying, uh, in a, in essence, why I don't get it? This isn't fair, and you're, you're crossing your arms and kind of mm-hmm. and kind of just essentially doing the same thing the world does. Mm-hmm. Your testimony in those times is its strongest, for good or for bad. Hope is contingent upon the presence of suffering, like. Evil can only be such if it's compared to something that's not evil. So the presence of suffering, therefore, alludes to the presence of hope. Like we wouldn't know what hope is if we didn't if we didn't suffer. That's that's right. And 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 the Christian hope is is during this time, I think we've really begun to separate those who maybe were nominally invested in the faith um, from those who are you know sort of deep in. And everybody's on that spectrum. And I'm not judging anyone. I just think that as a Christian, you never get to play the victim card. Now, I need to—I really need to distinguish this because I because I want to be very, very clear. Uh, victims of abuse, victims of uh, of neglect, th- those kind of vi- victims of domestic violence. I'm not talking. That is victim. That that's, that's. I'm talking about as a as a Christian when we look at things like this. We, we don't we don't get to we don't get to say well the world's against us the world's against the church everything is you know all this what you guys talked about last week all the world is against us well the thing is is that peter um when he confesses that jesus is the son of god he says that's right peter god revealed this to you and the gates of hell won't prevail against the church so 2020 has been bad but man jesus saying the gates of hell that's a lot worse than 2020. Mm. And, and, and so the point is, is like the, the people who were in the early church are going to martyrdom, man. They considered it an honor. And they were singing on their way to death, you know, which is just crazy. Well, talk about a testimony. I'm talking about if you're sitting in a crowd watching somebody sing to the death. Paul goes to prison in Acts 16. And he's not sitting there going, he'd been scourged. And he's not going, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to do this anymore, God. You know, this isn't fair, right? I mean, I, mean, I cast a, a demon out of a girl. Why are you doing this to me? He's singing when the earthquake happens. They're praising God. I, I just feel like even if you're being nailed to a cross, you, you don't get to, you don't, that's not, as a Christian, you deal in hope. And you, you don't have your hands in your pockets going, oh, well, this really sucks. You know, the world's against us. Oh, man, what are we going to do? So we, we, we're, we are come in contact with people like that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I myself can act like that sometimes too. What can. do we? We all can. How do we respond to those situations? Well, I think this is where having a a very serious devotional time matters. Right? This is where I think part of um, being in a small group, part of having accountability, having friends, you can iron sharpens iron. Um, that God does choose to work through human agency. So He says for us to go make disciples. I think when we get off of the mission 
of making disciples, mm-hmm. of evangelizing the world. And, and, and God says, the word he says is, uh, go make disciples of all the nations. It's how it gets translated. The Greek word is ethne. It means people groups. Go make disciples of all the people groups. I'm reminded of a, a story of Marilyn Lazo who spoke at our church years and years ago. And, and she just really quickly, she, she translated, transliterated, meaning they didn't have a written language. She, she figured out the language, had to invent new vowels uh, to write in this, this tribe in Papua New Guinea. And she spent her life doing this, right? Most of her career getting this translated. And the day that finally came where they figured out, uh, you know, the, the Bible was going to be coming down the river and it was the New Testament, they dressed up all the um, huts that were on stilts because they lived on a river and they, they, they decorated them. And as the word of God came down the river, you know, the people were saying, the word of God is here. The word of God is here. The word of God is here. It gives me chills because I think about this idea that when you make the main mission to make disciples, it becomes very hard to get stuck in the mud because you just know that you you have to you ha- you are compelled by the Holy Spirit to do this work that's that nobody gets off the hook as a believer the moment that we don't make that the main thing to make disciples is the moment we invite um, the complacency to, to spring up like 40 foot statues there's this book that it's an incredible book that I have skimmed through I'm planning on I don't ha- physically have the book, and I love to physically read books. So that way I can mark on them. But I don't have it yet, so Amazon. I'm coming for Amazon. But well, it's yeah, called uh, Man's Search for Meaning, and it's by Viktor Frankl. And it's about he was he was in the Holocaust, and he was in a concentration camp for, for four years. And the whole entire book is about suffering and your attitude towards suffering. And one of the quotes in there that is super famous, some of you might have heard of it before, but it's, it's actually from someone else, but I can't pronounce his name because it's foreign, so I'm not even going to try. But um, the quote is, there's only one thing that I dread, not to be worthy of my sufferings. And if you really think about that, it's pretty complex, a just short, small statement. But it just reminded, when you were talking, it reminded me of that because I feel like when we go into this place when we're suffering of, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I, God, why are you doing this to me? Blah, blah, blah. We're missing it. Mm-hmm. We're missing the the true um, purpose of suffering that will lead us into a deeper relationship with God. Like the deeper the sorrow, the deeper the joy. And adversity destroys like superficial faith. Mm-hmm. And once we experience that and once we realize that, like I want to be worthy of my sufferings. Mm-hmm. Like when I suffer, I don't want to back down from it. I want to step up to it yeah. and be worthy of it. That's and, really good. And flipping that on suffering is when we truly like grow deeper and it's inevitable it's going to happen so we, we need to be worthy of it and I think that's acknowledging that we have to experience it in order to have a deeper joy and a deeper understanding of of our place here on earth so I think and I think that's a great word on coming back to the idea that Christians really can't be victims and, and nuancing that you know the holocaust is is a an example of group suffering so we ha- we, we tend to think I think in America on the individual level right individual suffering and that's not true across the board in America but I think that there is um, collective suffering as well and one of the things that kind of is another nuance of all of this is that when you're a believer in Christ you're an agent of that hope and when you have that kind of hope you learn how to fight suffering you learn how to stand up for the marginalized you learn how to, you, you, you to be a voice for the voiceless uh, to, to be for the least and the last and the lost to to, to think of justice uh, the way that God thinks of justice and to act justly, to love mercy. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem in our society is that because we don't have a good handle on suffering, we 
sometimes act justly and we do selective mercy. And I think what God's calling us to be is advocates. So, so even though we will suffer, we are also ushering in that kingdom, right? That's what God has already started with. What started in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, i.e. his enthronement. And we're in that in-between time before he comes back. And in that time, we're also ushering in, bringing to people the kingdom of God, which we look ahead to with our hope and say, there will be a day when there is no more suffering. Um, but, but that begins with what you were just talking about, Katen, that you have to have a healthy understanding of your... Mm-hmm. on suffering to consider it worthy yeah and expecting suffering too it does say in this world you will have trouble will. but take heart because i've overcome the world right. and so i feel like it's really interesting when we're as christians when we're surprised by our suffering because in the bible it tells us to expect it it says yeah. you will have it yeah. and it almost is just giving us a forewarning that way we know how to prepare for it yeah. you know by being in the bible by praying by strengthening our relationship with god by I always picture like digging my have you ever stood in the ocean and the waves are coming at you mm-hmm. I just always picture like digging my feet as deep into the sand as I possibly can that way when those waves mm-hmm. come I'm not knocked down by them and I'm standing firm knowing that the Lord is with me and considering it consider it pure joys like considering yeah. it an honor to suffer for Christ yeah it's like the good stuff yeah right like it's the good stuff because obviously the devil is like I'm scared of that person you know yeah. what I mean and so it Considering it an honor to suffer for Christ. Yes. Yeah. So in my life, um, may I share my story? Yeah, mm-hmm. go In my life, the way that this manifested, um, were as I reflected. In the moment, I didn't understand it, but as I reflected. When I was 19, I was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia. There was something else going on in my body that was causing me to be so sick that by the 4th of July, 2005, so I just turned 19 the day before, I was praying out loud for God to let me die. I didn't want to deal with the pain anymore. So the physical pain was so intense that I was asking God out loud in front of my mom, which that was a pretty probably good idea, to to die. And if I moved, I was throwing up to the point where I just didn't have anything left to throw up. So I mean, I, w- I was just completely out of energy, completely off some pain medicine called Dilaudid, and it was just nothing was working. And I remember. Uh, that morning, my doctor came in, and they couldn't figure out for days why my white blood cell count was, you know, now at 112,000. Why, why I was as sick as I was. And my doctor came in, and she said, "I'm, you know, 99% sure you have, you have cancer." And, um, you know, she said, "You're going to go back to school this fall, college. I'd be my sophomore year, and you're going to go back." But all I heard was the worst part of that, which was, "I have cancer." Not only did I have cancer, I had a 55-year-old's cancer. I'm 19, and I have a 55-year-old's cancer. 98% at that point of CML was diagnosed to 45 to 55-year-olds. So I'm, I'm living with a middle-aged cancer at 19. And, I'm, and so that night, uh, that was the worst spiritual oppression I've ever really experienced in one setting. You could just feel a fog of suffocating uh, defeat just kind of set in. And I remember asking the why questions for a long time in my head. I couldn't speak. I, I mean, my throat was dry. My mouth was, you know, lips were, you know, blistered. I, mean, I just didn't have any strength. And I'm asking God, why? Why me? Why? You know, I was doing, kind of going through a Pharisee mode. Like, you know, I'm a good, I'm a good Christian, right? Like, you just see these people at college. Are you watching them? You see how they party? I mean, why? You know, and it's, it's the danger of suffering to go that route. And I wish I could say that at that point I was already strong enough, but I, mean, I wasn't. Why, God? Why? 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 All these why questions. It's not fair. It's not fair. 
And then finally my mind wandered to this question. God, where are you? Like that. I mean, the second I thought that question, my mouth, and I'm not, you know, I don't have to explain this except this is what happened. My mouth opened. We homeschooled for a long time when I was a kid and my mom made us memorize chunks of scripture. And my mouth opened and I just began to quote, like a sword of the spirit, you know, the word of God, just quote it, just cut into the oppression, right? And, and, and it was like the Holy Spirit was doing it for me. I was just on autopilot, but I opened my mouth and I said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now my mom comes over to the hospital, it's like midnight, comes over to the hospital bed thinking I'm getting sick again because that's what I've been doing. And she comes over to the hospital and she realizes that I'm saying the 23rd Psalm. And so I, she, I'm mumbling it and she's saying the rest, help me with the lines, you know, we're talking about where where the Lord leads us and, and still waters and quiet pastures that he restores our soul. And then it gets to this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And for your rod, your staff, uh, they comfort me. You know, you, you're with me. And I think the idea there for me, mom finished the next verse about how in the presence of our enemy, our cup overflows, our heads anointed with oil, surely goodness will fall slow days. But in that moment, I just, as soon as that was over, I just slipped off. The next thing I knew, I was waking up in an MRI, light at the end of the tunnel. That was a whole nother kind of like, am I in heaven? And um, what I learned in that moment was the why is never going to be answered. Why did I get a C, why do I have CML at 19? What was answered in that moment for me, and this was way more important, was where? And God was right there. He was never not with me. God's never not with you in your suffering. And I can't stress this enough. The person of Jesus is with us. When, when, when the prophet said, by his wounds we're healed, and when Peter comes back and comes to that, what, by, his, by his wounds we're healed. Because he became fully man. His suffering. He knows what it means for, to, to, to suffer like we do. He knows so we'll never, probably on this side, get to answer all the perspective of why. We can spend a lot of time trying to, but for a Christian, the, the more important question is where. And it's a good reminder that God is always there, Emmanuel. What has helped me a lot during the times that we're living in right now, it's like in tumultuous times when things are chaotic and crazy, it makes Jesus' name even sweeter to me. Like I was, um, this was during this week, with everything that's happening, I was just sitting in bed like praying. <laughs> <laughs> I was praying. And um, all of a sudden, I just realized, like, in my distress, or I don't, wouldn't necessarily call it suffering. That might be a little dramatic. But, you know, in distress or when I feel alone, which is a form of suffering, I guess, like, Jesus' name just was even sweeter in that moment. Like, in brokenness, the gospel begins. And... In our suffering, if we want to become worthy of it, we need to realize that. Like in our brokenness is where the gospel begins. And in times where they're crazy or they're sad or they're depressing, like Jesus' name becomes even sweeter. I just want to really quick, this is, um, I think we should do our takeaways, mm-hmm. final takeaways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd sent this to Kate the other day when I was reading in Job, just going back to that story and he was suffering and having all of these... Um, debates with his friends and they're like you have you know you did something you did something. he's like no I didn't I didn't do anything and he's in the middle of this I mean he lost his children he lost his all of his animals he had these giant sores on his body like the things that happened to him were just unimaginable honestly to me and I sent Kate in this verse because there are a lot of people in our world suffering right now and for different reasons 
And um, Job said, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty, who has, who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. And I just think, what a testimony right there. Like, I'm not going to speak falsehood. My tongue will not utter deceit. I will um, not put away my integrity. I hold fast my righteousness. All of these things that in the middle of your suffering, you can blame and point your finger and do all of these things and just kind of take off all of this. Well, you know, I was righteous until I was going to try to be righteous until I was given this. And now like, what's the point, you know? But even through all of this suffering that he endured, he continues to, to do what he feels the Lord is calling him to do. And I think that's so important. And I love what you said about the where question. And I think that is kind of what has stuck with me throughout this whole thing is we are all approached by people, especially kids, especially in youth when we're leading small groups as to why. Like, why does this happen? Why did this happen to my family? Why did this happen to this? Why did this happen to this? And... Like newsflash, the widest isn't going to be answered, unfortunately, because we don't have the capability of knowing everything that God knows. But we do know that He is here with us, and I think that's important. And it's hard to understand that. I think, as you know, a Christian, it's hard to understand. Well, you know, why can't that be answered? Like, why? Why does why turn into where? You know, but it's just something that, like we say every week, you have to put in the work and you have to take positive steps forward to figure that out. You cannot sit dormant in your suffering. You can feel the suffering but you cannot sit idle in your suffering because I think that's where things will turn around for the better I think for me um a lot of times I feel like when people suffer they they don't understand it's it's an aspect of I don't understand like why is this happening I don't understand and I really love at the end of Job when when like he cries out to the Lord and the Lord speaks to him finally and he just goes on this big rant about the complexities of the earth. And he talks about, and I just thought that was really interesting how he did that. And I think it points to, you know, our God is so complex and mm -hmm. he knows his view is way higher than our view. And the fact that we don't understand is an honor because we couldn't understand. We couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle the weight of it. And I love C.S. Lewis, and he has a lot of examples of this, but just to put him in a few metaphors, trying to draw like a three-dimensional image on a 2D paper. Like it's just, it's impossible. But you can't fully convey a 3D image on a piece of paper. It's impossible. And that our view versus God's view, or like a composer when he writes a song, he understands the song way more than someone who just walks by and hears it. He doesn't understand the complexities of the notes and the chords and all the things that go into making a full song. And that's that's like God's view to me versus our view. And understanding that and realizing that, understanding that we don't understand and we will never understand and we physically can't because we can't handle the weight of it, which I think is kind of what um, the Lord was telling Job at the end of this. Um, it alleviates a lot of the pressure of trying to figure it out because we physically can't figure it out. And if we cannot even fathom the workings of God and creation and physical creation, how could we even fathom his mind and his and his character, you know? And so that, for some reason, to me, brings me comfort, knowing that I can't understand, but I can trust. Those aren't mutually exclusive, you know? 
Yeah. You cannot understand and trust at the same time. So yeah. that's where your faith grows when you can't understand. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to. I just want to. I think in closing my remarks, we didn't get a chance to get to this because I think this this is very important, and maybe you'll address this in a future podcast. Um, but I think when we, we when I say victim, I just I really want to be careful with this because I think there are lots of like I think racism, there are victims of suffering and classism and, and sexism, and I think that in all those categories, um, there are people who are being oppressed, and we have responsibility as Christians to do something. They are being made victims, and we need to do something uh, as Christians to stop injustice. We need to stand for advocate. You know, um, when I say we don't get to stand as victims, what I mean is that um, as as a church, we don't really get to do that. We 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 get to take our suffering uh, to the throne of God and we get to take our suffering to the one whose wounds heals our wounds and we get to stand for Christ and with Christ because he first stood with us and stands with us. So for me, I, I, I just want to, I really want, I want to nuance that because I don't want somebody to listen to this and go, you know, like, well, I, I can't be, a, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I think that we're trying to get to the point always where where we're worshiping even in the midst of our our suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when we truly become worthy of them is when mm-hmm. we do that. Yeah. I just love that quote. It's a great quote. That is, I, the one thing I dread is to not be, worthy of, not be worthy of my sufferings. That is so powerful and just completely flips suffering on its head. Yeah. It's just so good. It gives suffering a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, James, thank you yeah. for being on our podcast. Yeah. It's a pleasure as always. We'll definitely have you on again in the future. We'll make it a fourth time. Let's, let's make it a full 10. Come on. <laughs> that's our goal for 2021 I was thinking 2020 but okay oh okay for the rest of the year James is our guest everyone <laughs> um, well thank you James okay. very much for being My on the pleasure. podcast um, and uh, we hope that this has answered some questions or made your brain your gears start turning to yeah. start doing some Creative research for yourself yeah. Ooh, even better um, thank you all for joining us this week. We are so excited um, that we get to get together every week to do this, even though maybe not a lot of people listen. But we just like being together, and we like talking about these things. Um, One day, when these podcasts get dug up in archaeology, people will look back, <laughs> and they'll think, this was how it was. This will be right. a historical evidence. That's why we're doing this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's a purpose. It's going to be like a time capsule for people in the future. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, join us next week. We're going to have a new hot topic. And a new guest. Ooh, and a new guest. Um, uh, so next week's going to be fun, so make sure you're going to be here. Also, sorry that we didn't get to post on time last week. That won't happen again. Hopefully not. Can't make promises that we can't keep. <laughs> Technology is not my friend. That's true. Um, anyways, um, hope you guys have a good week, and thank you for joining us for... Sundays, Sundays at 7! <laughs>